following podcast is sponsored in part by the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education and Birmingham Theological Seminary. For more information about these institutions, please visit their websites at bright-va.org. That's B-R-I-T-E-V-A.org or bts.education. And now, here is Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism. Friends, welcome back to Larger for Life podcast. We're glad you're joining us as we consider uh, question by question the Westminster Larger Catechism. Today we have back with us Derek Bright, Matt Adams, Stephen Spinnenweber, and Sean Morris. We'll consider Westminster Larger Catechism question and answer number two. How doth it appear that there is a God? The very light of nature in man and the works of God Declare plainly that there is a God, but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. Thanks again for joining us and buckle up, friends. Let's dig in. Okay, that was that was a great intro, by the way. Like that was that was like very professional. So how doth we top that, fellas? How, how doth we, we top, top that? that? I mean, way yeah. better than the guy who did that intro in episode number one, am I right? Yeah, I confess that I, I botched the intro and uh, probably never to do it again. But man, Nick, you nailed it. I think we can just uh, close it down now. We're good. Uh, <laughs> can you do the outro? That's uh, yeah, man, this is so question one. We're coming from considering that God is the one for whom we were made. And now we're coming here. Now, how do we know that? You know, this question gets to uh, the, what's called epistemology. How do we know what we know? How do we come by knowing what we know? And we learn in the second question that it is by way of revelation. But there are two types of revelation that are unfolded in this question. The two types, I, I, as I look at this question, this is how I divide it. And I think that this might be a good place for us to kick off. We see light of nature. So we call that general revelation in the Reformed tradition. And then we have special revelation. So... Does anybody want to take a stab at defining and kind of giving the listeners a sense of what we mean by general and special revelation? I think when we speak of general revelation, uh, there are really two parts. Uh, there's the revelation within our created form as image bearers, uh, as the catechism also affirms, the very light of nature in man. And so that's the thing that we derive from looking in the mirror. Uh, also, the uh, basic existential reality of thought. Um, but likewise, also the second part of general revelation, and that is God seen in his works of creation outside of us. Um, that could also be um, in the way we see a sunrise. It could be in the way we enjoy food, uh, a variety of things. But those two aspects within us and without us both derive from his creative glory expressed in power. Yeah, and that's a that's a great point to draw out, Nick, just like the catechism did. The light of nature in man and the works of God uh, supply external to man. Both of those things declare plainly uh, that there is a God. So both his inner consciousness, uh, the reality of God impressed upon him because he is a man with a soul, uh, but also the light of nature, the works, the sunrise, the Grand Canyon, the the beauties in, uh, that we see in, in the created world declare plainly. Uh, Psalm 19, uh, that there the is a God. The never-ending screeching of small children in church services. Amen. 
Amen. You're thinking there's got to be a God. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, Psalm 19, I'm glad you mentioned it, Sean, because Psalm 19, I've heard a good preacher division, right? And for alliteration, here you go. Psalm 19 tells us that God speaks to us through his world book and then through his word book. So there's that general and that special revelation side by side there working in tandem. And then you go to Romans chapter one, speaking to the withinness of God's witness to us. This is a consequence, certainly, of our being created in God's image. As our catechisms say that we were created after God's image in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. We're intelligible creatures and intelligent creatures who are meant to um, as one Cornelius Van Til, I think, said, or probably somebody said it before him, think uh, God's after kidding. him. Oh, stop that. You, <laughs> you, what do they even call you, Thomas Aquinas, devotees? Uh, what would you call yourself, Derek? A reformed Thomas, but I don't know that I even qualify properly as a Thomist, um, but I'm probably close. You're an enigma, wrapped in a mystery. I don't even know if he properly qualifies as reformed, but that's another story for another day. I can't spell Aquinas. To quote a Welsh reformed theologian, I think they're termed sissy Calvinists. Wow. <laughs> well, if the Welsh say it, then it can't be unsaid. It 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 stands. But yeah, Psalm 19 and Romans 1, the within, with the withinness and the withoutness, I think that was a great way of putting it, Nick. Yeah, the the old, um, I mean, coming out of the medieval theology and into the early Reformation and Renaissance theology, I mean, they would often refer to these things as what the book of nature and then the book of God's revealed will, the book of scripture. I had a, just as a quick aside, I had a professor in undergraduate who uh, is, is a wonderful man and uh, just to test his own metal, he studied at Harvard for a time and he remarked to us that you know, a lot of these old Ivy League and other, you know, upper echelon universities in their crests, they would often have these books on their crest. And it used to be apparently back in the day that Harvard's crest had three books, two of which were opened and one of which was closed. And those three books were supposed to be representative of the book of nature and the book of scripture, which God has revealed. And then that closed book was God's secret, uh, secret will that has not been disclosed. Well, now, if you look at the Harvard crest, all three books are open. So he would often quip that apparently, you know, Harvard has managed to discern the hidden uh, will of God and open that pry open that third book. So there's something of man's hubris on display there. I thought you were going to say that the book of scripture was the one that was closed. I thought that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it would be fitting if that were how the crest were redesigned. But no, all three books are open. So yeah, Harvard has Harvard I, has discerned all three, apparently. Man, that's that's interesting. Wow. They must not have read Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things to us and our children, right? Uh Indeed. But I, I thought, Sean, you were going to say that there were no books on Harvard's seal. I was like, huh, <laughs> you know, getting rid That's of the fitting. book of names. <laughs> um, yeah. um, That's right. This but, podcast will not be played at uh, Harvard's campus. Um, no, you don't all go I to could, Harvard uh, here and take – or no, you took classes at Yale, correct? That's right. Yeah, all books are yeah. closed there. So um, Yikes, yeah. I, uh, uh, just to jump in here on um, on this question, and I, I love this subject. I love the subject of – natural revelation and even natural theology and uh, what we can learn from nature. Um, I've always been fascinated with um, what Romans one tells us because we, we recognize that natural revelation is insufficient for salvation, right? It gives us just enough um, 
information or enough light to to really to damn us to hold us accountable. But there are things that we can learn from natural revelation about God, and especially if we're Christians, right? We can look back and really begin to see more about God uh, with these regenerate eyes that we have. Voss and his commentary. I love how he puts this. He says, the starry heavens as observed by the largest telescope and the tiniest particles of matter that can be photographed by the electron microscope all disclose the God who is their creator and ruler. So the greatest starry heavens and also the smallest thing that can be picked up by a microscope all point to God who is creator and ruler of all things. Hmm. And that is such a beautiful thing. You know, we can walk out and I I know it's a a slightly different take, if you will, perhaps, but I've always loved that Martin Luther quote, God writes the gospel, not in the Bible alone, but on the trees and the flowers and clouds and stars. You know, there is something beautiful about the book of nature and something useful about it, that God reveals certain attributes uh, in those things. And, and, uh, that's such a wonderful, it's such a gift of grace that we, especially as Christians can go out and enjoy God's creation and see his handiwork and praise him for what he has revealed to us. Yeah. And on, on the flip side of that, what nature shows us that it proves to us, uh, that there is a God, but then of course, uh, our inner conscience. And, you know, of course we live, in a time when, you know, look inside your heart, uh, look inside yourself, find the, the true light within. Well, no, but in a, in a prior age, it, we might be able to, to make that assertion with a little less qualification, that there is a sense in which you look inside your consciousness and you find uh, a God reality bearing down upon you. Now, of course, uh, we believe in those things called the noetic effects of sin. We don't believe our, our sin, or excuse me, our consciousness and our mind and our thoughts have been marred by sin they don't we don't have perfect knowledge because of the fall because of sin but there is that a a reality that remains where our conscious our conscience bears witness against us one of the proof texts uh that the that the catechism uses here comes from uh, romans chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 let me read it uh real quickly here for us this is from the esv where paul says for when gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, of course, we can't just simply look to the Redwood Forest and the Grand Canyon and the mountains, the the Alps of Switzerland, for salvific knowledge. We can't just look into the light of our conscience and the reality of God uh, salvifically. But nevertheless, those twin factors do bear out the reality of a supreme judge and creator who is. And the catechism here reminds us of that. Yeah, Derek brought up uh, Johannes Voss's commentary already. But to to piggyback off of what you just said, Sean, he makes a... a, At first, it, it, it almost shocks you the way that he says it so plainly and succinctly that that to believe in God is natural to mankind um, because of natural revelation, only the fool will say 
uh, in his heart that there is no God, right? And so um, unpacking on that a little bit, um, you know, general revelation or, or natural revelation, however you want to say it, it, it puts in front of everyone um, this, this inescapable uh, knowledge of God because he has so clearly declared himself um, in this general natural uh, revelation. You know, it's, it's what uh, is uh, declared there in Acts chapter 17 by the Apostle Paul. In God, we live and we move and we have our being. Um, so from the Imago Day to the Grand Canyon to the Redwood Forest, you know, I feel like I'm about to sing <laughs> sing a, a patriotic song here. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, all of these things put in front of us something that we cannot deny, uh, that there is a, a sovereign creator, there's a sovereign higher being, there is a God who... Uh, exists so much so remember Romans chapter 1 that we have uh, the law written upon our hearts we have this imago day we have nature that reveals to God therefore no one can can utter an excuse uh, they have no excuse uh, to to say that they uh, did not have an opportunity to know uh, to know God um, and so it's a uh, it's it's remarkable to me that that general revelation can can be so on display that it can be so declared that the apostle Paul says no one has an excuse. I mean that is how much our Lord has revealed himself uh in uh his creation and even furthermore beyond his creation but Voss says even in the way that he has uh, carried out the course of human history. Uh, that's the next line there from that quote that Derek read just a little while ago. It says, the works of God also include all living creatures and all God's works in the course of human history. All bear witness to the invisible God who created, preserves, and controls them all. Um, general revelation, while it's not sufficient for our salvation, it does declare much to us uh, about who God is. And I think the catechism is really trying to emphasize uh, that very fact. Yeah, I don't know if any of you like architecture, but if you see a Frank Lloyd Wright house, you know, just looking at it, when you see the lines, you see the simplicity and just the profundity with which he makes a mass of blocks and whatever else come together and cohere in this beautiful way, you just say that is vintage Lloyd Wright. So likewise, when we look out at the world, we say, well, this is vintage God. You know, that only one who is all wise, all loving, all gracious could give us a world that coheres and fits together so perfectly is habitable so that man can live here. Uh, God's infinitude his wisdom and his power his divine power are, are seen but we see already that the gospel is making its way into the catechism because you notice in this latter half of question two but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal unto men for their salvation reveal him unto men for their salvation so 
natural revelation, first clause tells us that there is a God, that God is. The second clause tells us, and now this is how man is reconciled to God. And that comes only through God's spirit working in and ordinarily through his word. And again, this isn't even a question on the Bible, but we are already introduced to the language of sufficiency and right. efficacy, uh, that the word isn't just a way or it's pretty good, but it is the only way wherein man is saved and reconciled to this great God who made himself that, or himself made man, uh, that made man and made all around him. So I love just the progression. We're going from creation to redemption, even in the space of one question. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it jumped out to me as we were reading it. And as the conversations already got started of, of it, that latter half of the, of the answer, the, after the semicolon, it's key. I mean, the whole thing is key, of course, but just that the, yeah, his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. And, and so what a, what a reminder that is too of our utter dependency on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because there, there is a sense in which even the bare, the bare reading, if, if I can put it that way, the bare reading apart from the work of the spirit, even that wouldn't be enough. You, you can read the Bible out loud to a person and I get, you could just quote Bible at them for hours, but until the Holy Spirit intervenes, until the Holy Spirit acts upon a man with his ministry, with his regenerating work, uh, it'll fall on deaf ears. It, you can quote Bible at them for hours, but until the Spirit moves his hand uh, to give them understanding and to grant them faith and repentance and regeneration, uh, it, it'll be for naught. And so Word and Spirit, of course, that's a keystone uh, a touch point of all Reformed theology that comes, we'll see that over and over and over again in the Westminster Standards and in the Catechism. It's word and spirit, not just pure word, and of course, you know, that th we get off into rationalism, and not just pure spirit that we get off into mysticism, but word and spirit together must be and, conjoined. And Sean, as you say that, a lot of us probably grew up in the generation where Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, you know, where uh, a man who was formerly an atheist, a lawyer, examines the resurrection, looks at all the details, looks at the evidences, and then comes to the conclusion that there is no other explanation. Jesus rose bodily from the dead on the third day. But when we look at creation, and I know that this is kind of getting into Derek's forte in terms of national, or uh, oh, not national, uh, uh, natural theology and um, how we engage in natural theology as Reformed Christians. But, you know, we can look at the evidences in creation and we could demonstrate to this person uh, without without confusion without uh, any deficiencies on our part in our argumentation and yet that person we could argue for all the proofs of creation and look at the world and say how can you not see this but until that work of the holy spirit has been done in their hearts and their minds they cannot come to that saving knowledge so while proofs in uh, natural theology are certainly something that Christians need to avail themselves of, and I'm so glad that Derek um, is passionate about that subject, I think we would all agree that no amount of proofs can convert a person. It has to be through the ministry of the Spirit working both in nature and through the ministry of the Word. Effectual you know, calling, guys. Let's be good Westminster Presbyterians here. Uh, effectual calling. 
I've heard of that before. You know, one of the things I think it points to in this in this question and answer is specifically that there are natural evidences that are known by everyone in an undeniable fashion that bring all people to an accountable place before the face of God. It also then shows us that there is a particular revelation from God. He is not gagged, nor is he mute. He has spoken and has revealed himself particularly through history. And so there's the, the I, I guess you would say, the natural aspect of evidence. There's also uh, the rational aspect of evidence for God. But then there's the highlighted necessity of the miraculous work of a converted heart. Mm. The Holy Spirit is what it all rides on. Without him, nothing else can be done. It must have him in the midst of all of it for the salvation, the convincing, uh, the changing and conforming of a man. Yeah, I, um, that's so true. I love everything that's been said here because it reminds me of a um, something that Sproul said. You know, he was talking about, it was at a Q&A and somebody asked, you know, how do you convince somebody who doesn't believe in sin? Now, before I get to his answer that we all probably have heard a million times, there is such a thing as natural law. You know, the law, um, you don't have to convince somebody that stealing is wrong typically, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we know there are things, um, nobody ever has something stolen from them and go, Oh, that felt really good for you to take that. Right. Um, and yeah, we know C.S. Lewis, you know, he, he, you trip a man on the bus. He's going to object to you doing that. He's going to be, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Romans two, the laws written on our heart and those things. So, but I, I love what Sproul said. He goes, uh, you know, what do you, what do you say Dr. Sproul to somebody who, who doesn't believe in sin and uh, with his, not, you know, with his, uh, perfect timing, you know, sprawl like quip, he says, uh, steal his wallet. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I love that answer. And it's true. And I think what we would all say is steal his wallet. And then when you give it back to him, put, you know, make a lead to the gospel and say, yeah. you know, that this proves that there is sin. This proves that God has spoken. This proves that there's a natural law or, this proves that the law of God's been written on your heart or whatever the case, you know, whatever task ta uh, you may take. But um, and so I think that these things are true and we do need to avail ourselves of uh, using them and employing them in evangelistic um, outreach. It's a reminder, too, of, of one of the key things that we believe in, in the ref in reform theology, that God works through means, doesn't he? He works through means, primarily through the, the means of the preaching of his word, uh, of course, to effectually reveal and sufficiently reveal uh, unto men for salvation. But that's why that's why we're saying that logical argumentation and proofs and, and things like that are not useless because God does work through means. It just needs to be that those means are conjoined ultimately with the ministry of his spirit in order to, per to persuade men savingly. Yeah, I mean, of course, what we're seeing in natural revelation— and what we're seeing in special revelation are not going to contradict one another. We're actually seeing a fuller revelation in the word by the spirit uh, than, you know, for what's revealed to us naturally. I, I love how um, Voss says, you know, what fuller revelation of God and of his will do we have? Besides the natural revelation of God, we have the 
supernatural revelation of God, which exists today only in the form of the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. You know, it's it's this special revelation, but I love how he says the natural and the supernatural, right? Um, because it just it emphasizes what's been said already that not only have we been given a revelation of God through the operation of the natural order or, or the laws of nature, but we have the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts and our minds so that we might uh, so that we might know God in a fuller sense, not a new sense, but a fuller sense of what he has revealed to us already. Um, and so I love that. I wish I had the quips like, like Dr. Sproul steal his wallet. Then let's move to the gospel. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what sin is, what, or who Christ is, who forgives sin. And I mean, it's, it's just so useful. Can I do two rabbit trails real quick? Of course. No. They will be brief. <laughs> no, Matt, you're, you know, hey, guys, effectual calling. Look at the language of the second clause. I wonder if we're being teed up here because, look, it says, but it says, but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually. I wonder if word is meant to be attached to sufficiently and spirit is to effectually, or if the sufficiently and effectually are in reference to both word and spirit, but that's totally I what I meant when I said effectual Collins. I knew Thanks you were going up on that. You know, um, we're, we're exegeting our way through the larger, but the second one it is, it's not totally off topic, but it's going back to like general revelation and how the light of nature in man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God. I don't know if you all ever just go out into the world and you see the things that people have been capable of for thousands of years, like throughout history. Like who discovered um, how to harness electricity? Like who discovered uh, hunting techniques, like primitive hunting techniques that are just like you're like That's aliens, aliens. <laughs> this is they're being seen in New Mexico right now. It's Joe Rogan pot is Joe Rogan uh, calling in because I feel like he would have something to say about this, you know, but it's, and Calvin, and this struck me because we were reading in our men's group at Westminster through Calvin. And the question that Calvin kind of tackles is to what extent is the Holy spirit operative um, in the lives of even unbelievers? Now we would say that certainly the spirit is only effectually calling and regenerating the hearts of those who are his, the elect, but I want to say, I think with Calvin and I've got to come back maybe next episode, I'll give you the, the book section in Calvin's institutes, but he says that, you know, anything good that's wrought in and through unbelievers is ultimately God through the ministry of the spirit, uh, you know, holding all things together and bringing all things to cohere in such a way that he gets all the glory ultimately. Uh, I thought that was kind of a fascinating insight from Calvin. And it is a further testimony because when I look at stuff that, man, I wouldn't think to do this in 2023. How did people think to build the pyramids, you know, thousands of years ago? I mean, it's a shame because those people use these insights, God-given insights for the purposes of idolatry. That's unfortunate. But we have to say that every good gift and all of our knowledge ultimately flows from God. And we can either use it or misuse it, um, depending on our 
on our state. So that was my little side tangent. If I, I'm willing to be shot down. Uh, well, Spin, I just I just want to say I appreciate your segue there. What other podcast can a person go on and hear the names Joe Rogan and John Calvin uttered in the same sentence, one right after another? We're here for it. You can so, only get you can only get that premium content right here. Yeah, I have a question. If um, yeah, and this is a this is a real question here. Okay, so we're talking about how God reveals himself in nature and what we can learn about God and things like that. So let me ask, I'm going to give an an example from nature and I want you to tell me what it reveals about God. Okay. So the Baptist church across the street is like front door to front door, like 40 or 50 yards. Okay. And we have dueling steeples that if you come down the hill, there are, you know, you can see the dueling steeples, and ours is a hair higher. And there was there's a story behind all of that. And we take pride in the fact that our steeple is taller. Now, and back in the 2000s, okay, um, lightning struck their steeple. What is God saying in that moment when he strikes the Baptist church steeple with lightning? That electricity goes <laughs> to ground. <laughs> I, mean, I think you're asking i think you're asking a lot of general revelation in that moment really. <laughs> unless we're going to assume that there is something within it that's extraordinary or miraculous out of a very miraculous or a ordinary occasion so, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, park it park it taylor <laughs> park it taylor hey it's it sounds like he's intimating what happened gosh this was Circa 2010, something like that, when at their national gathering, at their national convention, whatever it's called, um, the ELCA, the so-called Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, voted to permit uh, the ordination of homosexuals. And at the moment that that vote passed, lightning struck the convention center. What Derek is trying to say is that he is friends with Baptists. You might (laughs) not think it, but he is really, he's a good guy. Uh, We, we, I love Baptists. We we all do, just Derek especially, and you know, I yeah, mean, you've been in credo he, and you know, yeah, you've got some Baptist Twitter followers. That's right. Yeah, no. If honestly, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't picked up on it yet, um, you know, we love all you guys. We just like to make fun of everybody, including each other. You know, so equal Baptist, opportunity offenders. That's right. We're well, equal let's, opportunity let's, offenders. ARP Baptist. Lutherans, we're going, we're coming after everybody because we love you. Listen, guys, we have to be real about it. The PCA is the second largest Baptist denomination in the United States, <laughs> according to our membership. How mm. many of us can say That'll that tweet. at least tweet. a third or half of our congregants aren't convinced Credo Baptist? Right? Yep. Oh so. yeah. How many Everybody ministers are trying now to, and it's not a huge number, but some of them, you know, want to immerse now. Right. So, um, yeah, which is, right. which is fascinating. That's yeah. A, maybe a conversation for another time. That is fascinating. No question. Um, but yes, no, in, in all seriousness, and I know I asked that question, I was being silly or whatever. Um, but I think that, um, I, it's so true that God, what Matt said earlier in the Holy Spirit gives us this fuller revelation, this um, he, he really illuminates us to be able to see these things. And I think that there is uh, something to be said about when God's two books come together together. 
uh, in a, they really are, are married in such a beautiful way. When you become a Christian, you can see things um, so much more clearly. It's putting on these clear glasses to see and to be able to read both of God's books. And what a kind God that we have that he would condescend to our weaknesses and uh, and give us more than abundant revelation for us to to know him, to see him, to glorify him, to glorify him and enjoy him forever, as we talked about last episode. God has given us just an abundance of resources to be able to do that and to see him. And I just want to uh, just in, in a very serious moment, uh, which is rare for me, I know, but to say, um, what just a kind and generous God we have who does that. You know, I, I would say too, uh, you know, about the the insufficiency of general revelation and the necessity uh, then for special revelation, that there is a sweetness uh, to the Holy Spirit's involvement with the individual for their redemption. It's really wonderful. It's not just an external argument. It's not a thing. Um, it's not a thing impersonal but it's the nearness we have with God uh, in the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just mm. something that ought to be considered. That's a good word, Nick. Guys, I have to correct myself because I, I, I doubted myself and I was right to do so. It was not a lightning strike that hit the convention center in Minneapolis. It was a tornado. It was a tornado that hit the convention or it snapped the Lutheran steeple in August of 2009. You can Look it up. There's an article on Desiring God, but August of 2009, when the the ELCA made a grossly, grossly grievous statement on human sexuality, a tornado came and hit Minneapolis right about the time they were doing that. So, uh, I think Dr. Kelly would have something to say about this. Yeah, well, of course, y'all know, you know, John Piper being the Edwardsian that he is, he likes in Edwards interpreting providence in certain ways. So, how much yep. hay we want to make out of natural revelation like that, I don't know, but sure is interesting. You know, I would I say the scriptures reveal God as wrathful and judge. Um, and so we have a fuller understanding in special revelation. So doesn't I'm not this saying he also, can't do it in natural. Yeah, that's right. And doesn't this also really cause you as gospel ministers to perhaps trust even more in the necessity of preaching the gospel that, Natural revelation is in it's great, but it's insufficient. Um, our sinful nature, we just suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And um, and in the preaching of the gospel, as honestly, sometimes as deficient as we are as ministers and as preachers, and sometimes when we think we blow it, it's amazing that the Holy Spirit takes. His, as the larger catechism says, as we'll get there, um, you know, later on, that God uh, in his Holy Spirit blesses the reading and the preaching of his word. And that so that fuller revelation, the Holy Spirit is pleased to use it and go out and to to change hearts. And it's almost it's so counter uh, to what we would naturally think Um no pun intended to naturally there, but we, we want to point out to the stars and everything and go, see, see God exists. And people just go, yeah, but I've got an explanation for that. Right. And, and so the thing that is the most obvious is the thing that's insufficient, but this thing that you really can't explain other than a miracle work of the Holy spirit working through his word 
to pierce the hearts, to regenerate, call people into fellowship with himself. And that's something that is unseen. That is something that you can't control. That's something that you can't program, something that you can't have an explanation for other than this is God's sovereign work. And which just makes you go as a preacher, go, what else do I have to offer? You know, I just have, I just have this and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. It, it is. And the catechism here, you know, not to be pedantic, but it, it is getting at really base level stuff, isn't it? It's, t- I mean, the idea that natural revelation is enough to make you a deist, but it's not enough to make you a Christian. Uh, your, your inner consciousness is enough to make you a deist or a theist, but not enough to make you a Christian. Uh, that's special revelation. But it, even then, even then, it's not just the Bible, but the spirit, word and spirit. I mean, how many of us, surely all of us, we have that prayer of illumination in our worship services. We open the Bible and you have that prayer of illumination, whether you before you read it, after you read it, but there's that prayer where you're you're asking God the Holy Spirit to intervene so that as you're reading the Word of God and expounding the Word of God, we are n- so needful of the Holy Spirit's mm-hmm. ministry to impress that upon uh, our hearts and minds and ears and souls and conscience consciences. Well, I, I think too it has to confront us. You know, we're we're the theological people. Reform theology, it is rational in a lot of parts. However, our religion is not rationalistic. Our religion is supernatural. It's also not naturalistic. It's supernatural, essentially. Uh, and, and I think that's a really comforting thing. Now, I think, too, from you know, speaking about the preacher, you know, Derek said, what else do I have to offer? I, I think, at least for me, this says I don't have to offer anything else. All I do is act in obedience and I rely upon the power of God to be the Redeemer. Amen. I think we're all just sitting here pondering that now. It's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to hard to follow up on that. That's a that's a good word. That's a good word. So that's I hope that if you're listening to this, you know, um, whether you're an elder or a lay person or whatever your role may be, um, read this question and trust in the sufficiency and the power of God's word. Trust it. You may get frustrated in apologetic or evangelistic conversations. You might, you might just want to pull your hair out because your unbelieving brother or sister or cousin or father, whatever friend. And you say, I'm so frustrated because it's just so obvious. Mm -hmm. It's so obvious. Yes. It's obvious to you even more now than it was before, because you have been given the gift of the Holy spirit and you're a new creature in Christ with new eyes and new understanding. Take them to God's word. God's word is what will, uh, by his Holy spirit, God will illumine them. He will speak to them. He will open their eyes. And then once, and that moment when they come to faith in Christ and all of a sudden now they've put on new glasses and they go, I can't believe I missed this before. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. of course, of yep. course, you know, so just if you're listening to this, trust in God's word. That's it. The word and the spirit work. Trust the word and the spirit. Why yep. would you do anything well, else, right? I mean, if he's promised that it would work, then why would you do anything else? If it's not broke and God gave it to us, let's not try to fix it. Guys, great discussion today. Appreciated it and appreciated y'all listening with us. We're thankful to have you uh, listening to the Larger for Life podcast, we'd encourage you share it with your friends, uh, social media. We always enjoy and welcome feedback. We're thankful for you all, and we look forward to 
talking next time about Westminster Larger Catechism, question three. You have been listening to Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism, brought to you by the Blue Ridge Institute and Birmingham Theological Seminary. For more information about this podcast, please visit our website on Podbean at largerforlife.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show in the podcast platform of your choice and browse past episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow us at Larger for Life Podcast, and on Facebook, you can follow us at facebook.com slash larger for life. Be sure to tune in next time and join us again at Larger for Life. Larger for Life.